Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, God and Money. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, and a few other passages as well, as we hear a message entitled, What to Do with Money. There's an old saying that says, when a man or woman tells you it's not about the money, it's about the principle of the thing, well, know this, it's about the money. Money is so very important in everyone's life. And it's because of this that Jesus taught about money often. I've started a new series on money and I've decided to study three of Jesus' parables on money simultaneously. The first is found in Luke 16, 1 to 13. It's the parable of the dishonest manager in which Jesus told of a man who was fired for dishonest business. In response, this man finds those who owed the business money, reduced the price, and purchased friendship for himself with money. The second parable found in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, is the parable of the talents in which a property owner going on a journey gave varying talents or units of money to three of his servants. When he came back, he judged the servants on their ability to multiply the talents to get a return for his investment. The third parable found in Luke 19, 11 to 27 is the parable of the minas in which each servant was given one mina and like the parable of the talents, each servant was called upon to earn a return on the investment. You know, from these three parables, I've said there are 10 key lessons to be learned and applied to our lives. The first, the one I reviewed yesterday, is the lesson that God owns everything. He's the owner of the vast business. He's the rich man on a journey and the nobleman who's receiving a kingdom. He owns all things. From that, we said that God owns all that we have, including whatever assets we've accumulated. They're not ours. Everything belongs to God. Now, the second principle. We are servants entrusted with managing his wealth. The biblical word for this is a steward. All three parables have an interaction between the owner and the servants who manage the owner's wealth. Randy Elkhorn gives a visual illustration that I'd like to repeat. When he speaks at a conference on money, he gives someone a pencil before the event begins. Then during his presentation, he asks someone if they have a pencil, and the person who has been given the pencil volunteers it, and Randy promptly breaks the pencil in half. You know, everyone's shocked because he's broken someone else's pencil. But then he explains that it was his pencil in the first place and that he had merely asked the man in the audience to hold it until he had called it in. And he uses that to make his point. If he had destroyed another man's property, it would have been unjust. But if the pencil was his own, does not the owner of the pencil have the right to dispose of his own property in the way that he sees fit? See, the same is true with God. The story is told of John Wesley, who lived in the 1700s. Someone came to him to tell him that his house had just burned down. Weighing the news, Wesley replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Now, not many of us have gotten our heads around that, and that's one of the chief reasons that we have so many money problems. Until we're completely convinced that we are stewards, that is, servants entrusted with caring for the master's goods, you were actually living in fantasy. Now, the third principle from the parables. The owner at some time in the future wants his wealth back. In the parable of the dishonest manager, that comes about when the owner calls for an audit. 
In the parable of the talents and the minas, the owner's on a long journey and demands an accounting when he comes back. Let me stop for a moment so that we can take in the gravity of what Jesus taught. One day the king is coming back, and that for you will be at the day of Christ's return or on the day of your death. When you die, Christ is going to open your bank account, and he will do a thorough audit, having a look at your income and your spending, your investments, and your giving. He's going to do that because your income, your house, your investments, your assets, all that stuff was never yours. It was actually his, and he had entrusted it to you to care for it. And like a master auditor, he will pour over every single small and large use of his money and call you to account for it because it is, in fact, his money. And he wants every single penny back. He has the right to it, and he demands it. And that's the kind of an owner that he is. Does the owner not have the right over his own property? Now, the fourth principle from these parables, each one of us has been given various amounts of money in this life. That becomes especially clear in the parable of the talents. Talents were units of money. So from the context of the second parable, Jesus says what's obvious. Some have been given many talents and some have been given few. But the decision of how much to give each steward or each servant is entirely his decision, and he's not asking for your advice. So if you are given to constantly complain about the fact that you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you might consider this. But what's more, with the amount of talents you receive comes your assignment from your master. Look at it this way. Every single one of us have been assigned by God an area of influence or oversight. Let's say, for instance, that you're married. Your children are entrusted to you as an area of oversight. Let me get personal. As I sit behind this microphone, I know that I have, at least for this moment, been entrusted with this area of influence to teach God's people throughout this country the word, the will, and the purposes of God himself. You know, sometimes the thought of that is so staggering that seriously, if I could run from it, I'd gladly do it. In fact, the book of James teaches me that God will hold me to a higher standard of accountability than anyone else because of this. In other words, for this high privilege and audacity of speaking for God, he demands an accounting. Okay, so think of your money in those terms. Some of you have been given more than others, and that, according to the parable of talents, is what God in his sovereignty has decided. It's his money, just like it was Randy Elkhorn's pencil, and he can do what he wants with it. Now, just so that we're clear, so that there's no whining about this thing, please note that if you have a car or an automobile, you're among the wealthiest people on the planet. Okay, now, the fifth principle from these parables. We all have varying degrees of ability in handling God's resources. That's what the parable of the minas was about. In that story, in order to stress the idea of ability and not your financial status, Jesus tells a story in which everyone is given the same amount of money, but in fact had varying degrees of ability. One person is able to get a 1,000% increase on that money. That is, he turns the one mina into 10, the next a 500% increase, and both of the two, even though they didn't produce the same rate of return, are still commended for being faithful. The point is that the Lord understands that we will have varying abilities to increase wealth for his kingdom. Now, the sixth principle. All managers are told to engage in business. Now, from all accounts, the dishonest manager was doing 
pretty well in business, and he was not fired because of that. He's supposed to do business. That is, he's supposed to make money. He was fired because he was dishonest. He was unethical in all his dealings. See, in all three parables, the servants are called upon to increase the master's wealth. Now, I need to give all of you a chance to catch your breath here. Some of you might be incredulous at this moment, thinking, is he saying that God wants us to go out and make money? Well, just before I answer that, let me ask a question back to you. Isn't that what you want anyway? I mean, have you ever heard of a trade union going on strike because the company is paying the workers far too much? Of course not. They only complain when they don't have enough. And if you think of it, you do the same thing. You know, I've been in ministry for 35 years now, and I have interacted spiritually with thousands of people. I have never heard anyone complaining to me that they were making too much money. Look at Luke 19, verse 13. It's the the parable of the minas. It says there, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. And that's what he wants. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told to get a job so that we would be dependent on no one. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're told that if we will not work, we should not eat. And even says that if someone will not follow this advice, that we, that is the church, should take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Now, all of this, of course, is based on ability. And we've said this. But our work and our ability to make money and to produce goods and services and to save and to invest and to give and to spend, I mean, all of that is a part of what the owner expects of his managers. God invites you to go out and make money. So from that, we need to understand that money in and of itself is not an impure thing. It can become impure when we deal with it in a way that's false, but the earning of money itself is itself a good thing. So much more that we need to do when we talk more about this. Offering Bible teaching resources that provide relevant biblical truth is at the center of the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. This month, our daily Bible teaching program focuses on the expositional teaching of the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 11 to 13, entitled The Mysteries of the Kingdom. How is it in a world so out of control that we believe God is in control? It's a mystery, but a mystery revealed in His Word. This series, along with every Back to the Bible Canada resource, is made available free to anyone who would know the truth about God. Every program, article, blog, video, online, podcast, mobile app, or even the Truth in Life magazine is simply free. A goal of Back to the Bible Canada is Bible teaching without barrier. Special thanks to all those who make this possible. To know more or to partner with Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Every once in a while, I'll hear of a young man and they'll tell me, I'm interested in getting married, but it seems all that a gal wants is to find out what I do and whether I have the ability to make money. So listen up, Bubba. If that gal marries you, she'll want a place called home. And one day she'll be pregnant and completely dependent on you to take care of her. And she's looking ahead and does not want someone she can't depend on. So get a job 
Or better, get the best career you're capable of and gifted in. Engage in business. The owner doesn't want slackers. I mean, some of you might be incredulous right now. God wants me to get a job and make money? Yes, according to your ability. You know, we've been looking at three of Christ's parables and learning 10 principles from them. Number one, God owns everything. Number two, we're his servants entrusted with managing his wealth. Number three, the owner at some time in the future wants his money back. Number four, each one of us have been entrusted with various amounts of money in this life. Number five, we all have varying degrees of ability in handling wealth. Number six, all managers are told to engage in business and make money. Now to principle number seven, the money's a test. You know, that's very clear from all three parables, but especially in the parable of the talents and of the minas. You see, right now, the landowner is a way to build a country or to build a kingdom. And that's exactly in line with what Jesus taught in John 14, verses 2 to 3. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. So in the parable of the minas, the nobleman receives a kingdom. And when he comes back, the servant who earned 10 minas is put over 10 cities in his kingdom. And by the way, I quite literally think that there are cities in heaven and that there are servants of Jesus who are called upon to govern them on his behalf. In other words, Jesus has great wealth in the cities in heaven, and he is right now testing you to see if you can trust you with wealth management in the world to come. Now look at the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16, verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So to be clear, you're supposed to be investing his money in his interests. If in fact you bury it, that is, do nothing to advance the master's business, but you rather serve your own interest, your own kingdom rather than his, the master comes back and says, all this was to test you, and since I can't trust you with 90000 a year or 40000 a year or a million dollars or more, and this is nothing, and I'm not so foolish to entrust you with anything in the world to come. So hear me, your money is right now your way of building your resume for a great opportunity in heaven. It's a test. Principle number eight, mistakes, temptations, and challenges will come to you. In the case of the first parable, the manager became unethical. Now, just so we're clear, when the dishonest manager goes to the guy who owes him 100 measures of oil and the manager says, sit down quickly and write 50 on your bill, well, let me try to explain that. No law court today would allow you to get away with that unless the manager had charged his customer 50 measures of oil as his commission. In other words, what the unjust manager did was to use the master's business to also pay himself, but he overcharged. And that brings up several important subpoints about the tests that servants of the master's business must consider. Here's the first temptation or challenge. It's the test of just how much you're going to pay yourself. Look, the master is giving his stewards freedom to make wise decisions, and he knows that the steward has the right to take a wage out of what he has assigned to them. Let me say this plainly. God trusts us to set our own salaries. We draw funds from his wealth to pay our expenses. Our key decision is determining what's a reasonable amount to live on. And to be clear, in the end, the master will come back and make a judgment on how you did on that one. 
you know, sadly, some of us took everything the master had given us and buried it. I mean, we buried it in our own pockets. Well, that, in fact, is what the dishonest manager did. But when he realized he was in trouble, according to Jesus, he took steps to correct it. Some of us are just too dim so that we never do the same. Now, here's the second test or the second subpoint. It's the test of using money to make friends. Now, realizing he was in trouble, the dishonest manager immediately went out and canceled his interest and made friends with those who got the discount because of it. And Jesus' conclusion, Luke 16, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, this guy was out of house and home, but others were so grateful, they told him, while you're getting over this rough patch in your life, come and live with me for a while. Now, please, let's not get involved in wild speculation and fantasy. There is a point here. Use money to make friends. I know of many who have given significantly to various ministries, and they may not have had seminary degrees themselves, and maybe they can't teach or preach, but they have rich, eternal friendships through the use of their money. Now, some of you will say, ah, the privilege of the rich. So, you then, who have less, what will you do? Are you going to bury your money in the ground? I mean, tell God, why don't you, that he's a hard man, reaping where he has not sowed, and then do nothing to further the master's business. I mean, that's you. Even the little that you have will be given to the guy who has lots. And the subpoint, the test of maximizing the greatest gain for the kingdom, seeing the master's resources used in ways that pleases the master. See, let me remind you of the parable of the minas. Will you use your abilities fully or say, I just don't have many abilities, so I'm going to do nothing? So that's the test. Right now, every day, when you get up and you go to work and when you earn money and save money and pay bills with money and take some vacation time with money and take care of your kids with money and give money, I mean, all of this is your opportunity to show your master that if he were to give you significant riches, could he trust you? Now, when the test is over, the eternal reward begins then. See, some who refuse the master's call are expelled from the kingdom, and that's horribly sobering. Now, to be clear, this is not the doctrine of works. Those who are assigned to torment are those who refuse their master in the first place. But those who welcome their master are those who are assigned various rewards based on their faithfulness. That's exactly what Jesus taught. Those who are God's people will be rewarded in heaven for how they used money. Now, someone's going to say, well, what? Just the way I use my money has eternal significance? Well, stop. Have you not been paying attention? You don't have any money. God owns everything, and you're a managing steward entrusted with his property. Boy, I hope you get that. Embezzling his property is a punishable offense, and using it wisely to advance the interests of the manager is the very item that you want on your resume when the day comes, and he hands out the staggering riches of the world to come and the servants who will oversee them. So much for the name and claim it philosophy, prosperity gospel. Most of that is just furthered by greed of people who want to get rich and advance their own kingdoms. And so much for the people who demand that we live on subsistence levels. Some of that is just furthered by envy. And all of that leads us to the final and the ultimate principle from the three parables that Jesus told. What is money? You know, in the end, it's a test of whether or not you will believe God. Please note what I didn't say. I did not say that money is the test of faith. 
There are, in fact, other significant tests that Christ deliberately puts before you and me. But if you learn from the tests, they will suck the love of hell out of you and inject the love of Christ into you. But, and this is the key, money and your response to it is like a canary that is set into the mine shaft. It tells you whether your God is you and your kingdom or your God is Christ and his kingdom. Listen again to what Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So if I were to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Many of you would assume because I'm a pastor that I have the right to ask the question. But if I were to ask you, how are you doing financially? How would you respond? Would you say, it's none of your business? You see, until we understand that money is not divorced from the life of faith, we will never know how to live as Christ wants us to live. Heavenly Father, open our eyes and help us to see that this thing called money is not a secular thing, but a spiritual thing. Open our eyes, Heavenly Father, to use it for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of your glory. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. John, thanks for a great message today. As I was listening to you, I was reminded, or my memory went back to the number of stewardship messages that I've heard from pulpits. But can you help us understand what that word should mean to us? Yeah. You know, stewardship, like a stewardship drive, as you say, is often just a, you know, how much can we give? We have a special project or we need to make budget or anything of that nature. But in truth, stewardship simply means that we work for an owner and we have been entrusted to managing his property. In the case of the Bible, it's not just believers that are called upon to be stewards. Everyone is a steward. I mean, the fact is that whether you're a believer or not a believer, God owns what you have. He owns your life. He owns your property. He's the creator of all things, and so he's never relinquished his ownership. And so God owns everything, and we are simply called upon to manage his property. The question of stewardship is always the question of how we should manage that which belongs to another. So the more we can learn about God's ownership, the more we can and learn about God's direction for this earth and what God plans. All of those things are interesting to a steward because, you know, we know that the owner's coming back. And when he does, he does demand an accounting for everything that we have done with that which is not ours but his. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to even more in our God and Money series in the days ahead. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Grateful you joined us today for Back to the Bible Canada. We believe faithful Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. We do know, though, that there are times when it's not possible to listen on the radio. So for your convenience, we provide a number of free listening options. Listen online at backtothebible.ca, sign up for the daily podcast, subscribe for the free mobile app, or check out the weekly Truth and Life Today video broadcast on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. Just a few of the free Bible teaching opportunities available for Canadians and around the globe, but only available because of the passion and generosity of so many across this country. Thanks for all you do. Call us today with your support or for ministry information. 
at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.